Hello, and welcome back to the Sabbatarianism podcast. My name is Justin, and I have with me Mr. Richard Davis and Mr. Neil Saw. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. 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 <laughs> All right. So, we are going to continue with the study of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we left off in chapter 12, so next would be chapter 13, of course. Uh, oh, I forgot my... See, I'm just a bad host. That's just all there is to it. I want to make mention on on every podcast that uh, please start in the beginning. We're not going to repeat concepts that took us 13, 14, 15 hours to kind of put together. So please start in the beginning. If you're if you're new to this, start with uh, number two, three, somewhere in there, and start working your way forward, and then come back to this point. We do appreciate your listenership, but it would be best to start in the beginning. So with that said, uh, let's get going again with uh, chapter 13 of the book. Well, Neil, did you have something you wanted to make mention of? Go ahead. Well, just uh, I had mentioned last week that there weren't many synoptic versions of this section of Luke. Uh, evidently, my information is incomplete. You, you were going off of a paper that you found on the internet. Yeah. Admit yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he dug in and started doing the work for himself and yeah, figured out, well, and, and one of them, I believe we read the, the Lord's Prayer last week, right? Yeah. And that, of course, is definitely in Matthew. So, yeah, there's a, there's a few of these that are found in the other Gospels. Uh, they change them up a little bit, but People tell stories differently than others, and, mm -hmm. and it's okay. It doesn't mean that they didn't happen or that they're contradicting each other. It's just you have different people telling the but same story yeah, in a yeah. different way. I mean, Luke was is hearing it all secondhand. So, All right, Richard, will you do us the honors once again, sir? Okay. We're at Luke 13, verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's pretty straightforward, but what is this, do you know what it means, where he says that uh, their blood, Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices? Well, apparently they had been gathered together doing sacrifices, and Pilate had come in and killed the people who were doing it. Okay. So, in these others, he's simply saying, you know, time and chance we're told happens to all regardless of whether we're all sinners and there's no we, real ranking of sin no you didn't you not may not have suffered with those people but unless you repent and follow god you're going to perish in the same way okay he also spoke this parable a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone that 
this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. And if not, then you cut it down. And, and we're right into parable after parable after parable here in Luke. And I, I really would like to take time and, and talk about these. So we'll probably start and stop a lot today. But what is, Neil, what does this one say to you? It, well, I think it's related to the first part about repenting, number one. And number two, I, I, I see the, the owner of the vineyard as God the Father and the vine dresser as Jesus. The advocate. The advocate. And he's like, you know, God was ready to cut somebody off, and Jesus is like, well. I think I can still get fruit out of them. Yeah, let, let me work with them a me, little bit longer. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, it, it, two things it tells you. Number one, he'll get you through it if you're willing. And number two, uh, he, he will cut you off if he has to. Yeah. There is a final decision. Yes. Verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. It's kind of the way I feel now. <laughs> <laughs> But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you're loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose he, his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan is bound, think of it for eighteen years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. I'll just stop for a minute there. There's a real good principle in there. How, you know, we get to the point where we worship things like the Sabbath day and all these things we, in the law that we can't violate when we, and then by doing so, we lay aside love and mercy. Matthew 24 talks about that. Not Matthew 24, but 23. You know, how you, you glorify the offerings, which is greater the altar that you lay the offering on. Or yeah. the offering itself. Yeah. I mean, there's a purpose for the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is there for the good of mankind. It's made for mankind at creation. And to deny doing good works is shameful. Whereas, you know, the only command in the Sinai Covenant giving of the, of the Ten Commandments was to not do your servile or your customary work on that day. I don't go out to work on the Sabbath day, but to think that you're restrained from doing good for others, that's just puts don't, everything upside down. Yeah, and don't glory in your following of it. Yeah. It's not something for you to boast about. That's right. Uh, I also took note to hear that he says, whom Satan has bound um, for 18 years. So he's talking about the infirmity that this woman had, that it was from, it said, had a spirit of infirmity. That spirit he puts on the head of, of Satan, and and I would imagine his minions as well. But that's where, obviously, Messiah is telling us here that that's where at least some of our infirmities 
come from? Come from? Well, and it 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 comes from original sin, not that we sinned necessarily. But, yeah, but know, that's true. who's responsible for it. Just like in the first part of Job, yeah, mm-hmm. where it's, you see what happened to Job, who was responsible for it. Yeah. He was allowed to do that, right? Yeah, right. So uh, there again, Satan is real. The evil ones are real. They are out there. Verse 18, then he said, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was leavened. So, again, a lot of stopping today. Yeah, um, I think this one needs to be discussed. Well, he's talking about good. A little bit of good goes a long yeah. way. I mean, it uh, when you don't have any love in your Sabbath keeping, it becomes void. But if you do think in terms of putting God's love and the good of God's spirit that we have in that these forms of worship, then they grow into something that is very fruitful something God is pleased with and something that's beneficial to us. Yeah, and, and I think in the past, well, I know in the past that leaven, it's been that leaven equals sin. And I, I think that's probably incorrect because of this verse. I, this goes directly against it. And, and what it appears to me is, is that leaven is like influence or, or an agent of change. It can be for good or for bad, as in the instance of the the Pharisees, where he says, beware of the hypocrisy, well, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which he directly said was their hypocrisy, their mm-hmm. sin. But here he's saying that, what can I liken to the kingdom of God? It is like leaven. Yeah. It, it, you go both ways. Depends yeah. upon whether it's good or it's bad. Yep. Verse 22, and he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and we drank in your presence, and you taught in our our streets and he said i'll tell you i will i do not know you where you're from depart from me all you who workers all you workers of iniquity there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see abraham and isaac and jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of god and yourself thrust out they will come from the east and the west from the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of god and indeed there are there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. On that very day, some Pharisees came, saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Let's just stop right there. You know, this is right on the heels of the mustard seed and the leaven parable. And he's, you know, he's enlarging on that. 
He's saying, make sure that you strive to do what is right and you get serious about it. Because if you don't, your worship system is going to be nothing but hypocrisy and pretentious. And the day will come when there's no fruit to it, then that tree will be cut down. And we're about to get to that. Which he's going to do to Jerusalem. Yeah. In the next verse. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, verse 34. The one who kills the prophets and stoned those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as hand gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is quoted also by Matthew in the last verses of chapter 23. And it's the final cutting off of Jerusalem and and the Jews, basically. Desolate. The Jews who glorify that place and stick to their traditions and refuse to acknowledge what's truly going on here. Yeah. I find it interesting, too, that the Pharisees tell them to get away because Herod wants to kill you. But he, they've been wanting, planning to kill him for a while. Well, well, there <laughs> they just s- want him away any way they yeah. can get that well, done. Well, there were some Pharisees. Who, who believed sure. and followed him by night, it says, and yeah. not, not openly. So they were probably... The guy in John 4, what is it? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Yeah. Yeah, they were undoubtedly privy to some information about what was going to occur, and they warned him. Yeah, this part here, it's it's one of the most chilling things in Scripture to me is, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from, depart from me all you workers of iniquity. That's always just terrified me. I mean, these people believed that that they were a part of his brood, that they were in his fold, and he's telling them to get away. Um, I think that really speaks to what we have talked about, and Richard, what you have talked about over and over, that it is a close, personal relationship with God that is really important, and this is why. It must be sincere. And it's not playing games. It's not about religious beliefs. It's about the love of God that's in you through Christ our Savior and whether that's foremost. All of these parables right here fit tightly together here in chapter 13 about being sincere about what you're doing, about really showing the fruits that are to come, letting those fruits of God's love be foremost in how you obey his laws and what you do with each other, not putting the cart before the horse and uh, being ready and being sincere in how you live for when that time comes because you can't wait to that moment and say, oops, changed my mind. I'm sorry. Let me in. Yeah. Well, there will also be those who don't have that attitude and they're not going to be there. Yeah. You know? But like we we also talk about a lot is is the, along with the close personal relationship, is that you you don't come through some other man that is acting as mediator. That's right. You go to him personally. Otherwise, he at least could say this to you. Mm-hmm. I knew that mediator you were coming through, trying to come through, but <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you. Yeah, you didn't well, that's come true. to me directly. So. 
close personal relationship with God that's that's in honesty and truth? Personally, I have a problem with anyone who will be a mediator, uh, put himself between God and others, because uh, truly, if you're a shepherd or a leader, what you need to do is bring the sheep up, not stand between them. You be a bridge and not a crutch so that you're doing their work for them because it's it's fruitless if you do. It doesn't do them any good. I, I think that bears a little bit of conversation as well as it's something that I've thought about a lot is, is what is fruit? What is the, the parable of the fig that we just read? What is bearing fruit? I, I think there is a thought process out there wherein it is exclusively about bringing new people into the fold and in, into belief in the Messiah uh, and God. And while I believe that is a fruit, I don't believe it to be the only fruit. Well, the fruits of God's Spirit are listed in Galatians 5. Yeah. And it has to do with an alteration and a change of your character and your actions and how we relate to God and one another. And being kind to one another and and having uh, agape for one another, uh, I I think that is the biggest fruit. But it would also, we, we all have different gifts and we would bear different fruit with our different gifts. Yes. Well, he would want you to use the gifts that he's endowed you with. Right. Exactly. For, to, to, to further his gospel, to further... Uh, the work he has for you. Yeah, yeah. No matter what it is, Whatever, however yeah. small or however large. Yeah. Right. Only you can know. We ready to move on to 14 here? I guess so. Neil, you got anything else? Nope. Okay. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. Behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering said to the lawyers or the scribes and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. I guess they did. (laughs) (laughs) After he, Yeah. yeah. And he took them and healed him and he let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. That just shows they had more mercy for their own animals than they did for one another. Sound familiar? Yeah. Uh, It's interesting, the ESV, English Standard Version, has a footnote. Some manuscripts say a donkey. This one says has a son or yeah. or an ox. I believe that comes from if the your dead son s- has fallen into the pit, yeah. into a pit, into okay. a pit, which would you know put a little more emphasis on sure. on doing the work. But either way, a son or a donkey or an ox, yeah, people are going to do what they have to, you know, to pr- pull protect, them out. yeah, to pull them out, protect their investment. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him in, he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. 
But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may sit, say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whosoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, and your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There's a lot to unpack there. That, uh, especially talking about being humble and putting yourself in the lowest place, we could preach sermons about that. Men who exalt themselves. He he just talked about the Pharisees, and that's what they were doing. That's exactly right. Just do what God has given you to do in humility and leave how that works out up to God. And when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, Christ said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you you, I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go in quick, out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring up here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now that He's continuing to build on that same... Yes, this is, has to do with the wedding supper that's given, I believe, in Matthew 22. And it has to do with the rejection of the children of the kingdom, of, or the first ones, Israel first, who were offered this and rejected him. And then he will then open it up to all the rest of the Gentiles. And the reason for rejection, whether it's mm, an they... Israelite or... A a Gentile has to do with the personal importance that you place upon it. I mean, if you don't have room to make the worship of God the center of your life, we're being unfruitful in what we're doing. Like the man was more worried about his five yoke of oxen. That's right. Okay. So what you're saying here is, is the first group that were invited that asked to be excused was Israel. Were the, were the Israelites. The were children the, of the The natural kingdom. seed yes. of Abraham. Mm-hmm. The ones that were entitled to it. Based on the promises. Yeah. Yes, the Pick. first. The ones who are given first. And those who would accept, they'll come, and the, but the majority of them will reject it. And 
we see how this played out by the murder of Christ. And then in Acts 10, it's opened up to the Gentiles. And we went through that in the history of the covenants, how yeah. every bit of that is legally enacted exactly the way it was prophesied in the Old Testament. And that's why Paul says to the Jew first and then to yes. the Gentile. Yes. And then to the nations. So this has a personal lesson to us as far as responding to Christ calling in us, but it also is a, a legal edict of the fulfilling of the of God dealing with salvation for all of mankind in a proper way as he's laid out. Verse 25, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? But least, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off he sends a delegation and has conditions of peace so likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple salt is good but if the salt has lost its flavor how shall it be seasoned it is neither fit for the land or for the dunghill, for men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, that's, you know, that's not a separate thing there. It's part of what he's saying here. Lay the foundation correctly and put God first in your life and what God calls you to do in your life. Then all these other things that you have to do with your family, with your careers, awesome. your job, whatever it is, have to be subject to that and fall in line with that. Obeying God and walking with Christ should be the center of your life, not a peripheral issue. Not something you do on once a week or 10% of your day, or it should be the center. Uh, I'll, I'll let you get to yours, Neil, but first, I think this is a really bad translation here. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, I, th I think that word hate there is a really bad translation. Well, I've heard it described as loving less or by comparison, right. to hate by comparison. Uh, I think that's what he was talking about. Yeah, I would assume that the uh, translation from Greek to English loses a lot of the real meaning. Yeah. Certainly uh, it does there. Yeah. Although I've, this section is often uh, encouraged by people considering baptism. Hmm. Counting the costs and so on, and there's other places where similar uh, discussion is, you know, recorded. When I, I remember, you know, 1988 or nine, uh, going through some of that, and I thought to myself, w w "What's the cost of not moving forward?" Uh -huh. In other words, okay, I'm going to start this process, and what it tells me is you can't back down. you got to keep going. 
continue the, the the fight and it's you know paul equates it to to a race, a race and, you know. and and a, and a fight you know he's, he's fought the good fight he says uh but if you don't start what have you lost eternal life possibly uh what i don't understand the part about the salt um and i never have uh what is that i mean salt adds flavor to something but if it has no flavor, then it can add no flavor. That's right. And it's fit for nothing. And if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, all the rest of this stuff you're going after is going to be meaningless anyway. And your example of what you profess to be is going to be empty. Everything eventually will come out. Uh, become the salt of the earth. Without Messiah, then you are salt that doesn't have any flavor. You got it. That's exactly right. Have you ever had salt that went bad? No. Usually. I didn't know it was even possible. Yeah, it, it is. And generally it happens when it absorbs a lot of moisture and then dries out. And the saltiness of it is virtually worthless. So it just tastes like nothing? It, you know, it may provide a little salt, but not yeah. near as much not as you good. expect. Okay. And, and because of... You know, in these days, it was used as a preservative also. Right. It was really important yeah. back then. And if it didn't uh, have the saltiness, it wouldn't do the preserve. Oh, it wouldn't preserve either. No. Okay. That's why it's only good to be thrown out. And, and it is, you know, being the salt of the earth means that you have Christ and what it brings into your life is the center of your life, the foundation. It's always there. You can't compromise it for anything as you make other decisions in your life and you can't put anything ahead of it and if you do you like salt that's has no value anymore and you're supposed to be seasoning those around you yeah but people should 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 see you know that that your works are of, of benefit yeah worth worth uh copying up uh, there's probably a better word but uh, they're not for yourself and they're not they're there to Love God and love one another and to love others. And uh, when you become self-centered and then promote yourself, see all these things about not taking the high place and who you think you are and God's place and God's truth or in the kingdom of God or in whatever you're doing for him or whatever you're doing around you. Just let the fruits that come out of you speak for this, themselves. And eventually they'll they'll be shown for what they are. Be what you're supposed to be, and you'll be the salt of the earth if Christ is in you. All right, we ready to go on to 15? I guess we are. All right, let's do it. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, to them saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice in me, for I have found my sheep which is lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance or feel that they need no repentance. I was going to say, is yeah. there any 
Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice in me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is more joy in heaven, there is more joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he says, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. That's lawless or lascivious living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. He began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son is dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and because he has received him, Because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have transgressed your commandment at that time. Never transgressed your commandment. Okay, yeah, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. This is only in Luke, correct? I believe so. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So this is one also that I've always struggled with because I have empathy for the older son that, that got angry here. Uh, I can see, I can understand the way he feels. So what is the lesson to be learned here? Well, there are many what, lessons. If, what he's saying up above that of uh, when one sinner will come to repentance, the angels sing for joy. Same thing here is that the, Older son had already become, had already started living well or living right. And now this one has 
repented and is coming to right living as well. Yes, well, the signs of repentance, he says, I'm no longer worthy. And he didn't come to ask anything else. He said, just let me be a hired servant and let me change my life. He didn't say, come back and give me more to go and squander and continue doing what I'm doing, what I've been doing. Yep. Uh, And the older brother, of course, he's upset because he's rejoicing. The fact is, if he was his brother and he had brotherly love toward him, why wouldn't he rejoice because mm. his brother had changed? Now, that that's, shows a deficiency right there. But notice how he's saying, you didn't give me this or di- you didn't give me that. And the father says, son, you are always with me and all that I have now is yours. Because the young son had already squandered his inheritance. He wasn't going to give him another, that again. Cor- another portion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he said, "All that I have is yours, but we should make merry and be glad that your brother is now alive again, saved." Yeah, yeah. get don't ever resent He's that. He's not out sleeping yes. with pigs anymore, or whatever yeah. it was. So it shows that the older son had a problem. Yeah, yeah, maybe he had his feelings hurt, but he should have been right. rejoicing because his brother. It was changed also. That's a good point. I know people that are in the church, uh, let's just say that they disgust me, and I had to have quit associating with them. I would love them to be to come back with a repentant heart and, and be back in the fold. I don't know if they are, if they ever did. Somewhere else maybe, I don't know. But, you know, we something we've talked about in, uh, might have been just recently in our weekly Bible studies, uh, helping out those who are in need. Well, you can do that to the point where you're actually, uh, uh, can't think of the term I want to use, but you're, you're hindering their, their progress. You're enabling and, them to continue to do wrong. Yeah. yeah. If their needs are caused by their sins. And so you have to cut them off. A lack of responsibility. I mean, I, I had somebody that, you know, I literally bought a car for, put them up in my home so they had a place to live, and found out after, you know, he was working, and after three days, getting up, packing a lunch, going to work, I get a phone call from his boss. He's not at work. He's going out, sitting on a park bench, roller skating all day. Like, pack it up and buy. You know? I'm not going to enable you to, to do nothing. Exactly. You got to do something. Yeah. Yeah, we should not. And this is not what the father was doing. I've seen parents that will, you know, my, own, my, my son's alive. My my children are saying they're going to straighten up and they just come right back and use their parents over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. That's not repentance. This, the younger son didn't come back and ask for anything except a job. As a hired servant. Yeah, I think the older one, at least in the flow of the story, when he comes back, he didn't know that there was repentance. He probably assumed that the young, the younger one was back to ask for more money, or and here the dad is celebrating or whatever. But um, no, that's a good explanation. I I appreciate it. Yeah, this parable of, parable of the prodigal son has been used and mis- misused by many. Chapter 16, 
Yes, sir. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your stewardship for you can no longer or you for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do for what? For my master has taken the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generations than the sons of light. Mm. What do you think that means? It means those who are led by evil are more shrewd in the dealings of this world than those who are led by the light. That are led by the Messiah. Yeah, because they don't deal the same way. Right. And they're not willing to use deceit and, and misconduct to get what they want. That it? That's what I have so far. This is a big concept that he's working on here. Mm-hmm. Verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Where does that fit there? He's actually, I believe, saying use the same ingenuity in what you do and how you serve God that those people do with their physical goods. Get busy doing something. And don't, you know, just because you're not perfect or you haven't done everything is the way you originally should, doesn't mean you give that up. I mean, he went back, uh, went about getting as much as he could from those creditors to show a profit to his master and redeemed himself by doing so. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the righteous ma- unrighteous mammon who will commit you your trust to true wit- riches, and if you've not been faithful in what is another man's who will give you what is your own, no servant can serve two masters, for he, he will hate the one and love the other, else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon being money. money. The love of money, right? Yeah, yeah the m- money. You've got to be faithful in your trust toward God and cut your losses and do whatever you need to do in order to redeem yourself. And to help others. Yeah. Right. Now, the Pharisees, who are lovers of money, also heard all those things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Mm. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is passing into it. Pressing. Pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her 
who is divorced from her husband, commits adultery. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of swords, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being tormented in Hades, or the grave, this is talking figuratively, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, you remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise rem- Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all these things, between us there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If you do not hear Moses and the prophets, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded to the one rise from the dead. That's a parable that gives many people pause. And I don't think you can really understand what's being said there. Legally, it has to do with the transference, the breaking of the two sticks of of, uh, the children of Israel that were foretold back in Zechariah 11. One would go... It doesn't say to heaven. It said to Abraham's bosom. Now that means you become children of Abraham. And the other is cut off and goes into torment. Now that torment continues for those who denied the truth of Christ here. And it's prophesied in Ezekiel 22. Those who are desolate. Yeah, those who are desolate. Those who he prophesies there bringing the Jews back to Jerusalem to put them a cauldron of fire and suffering and torment that would purify them over time. And this really didn't come to fruition until about five or six hundred years later when they actually killed Christ. And then historically, suffering and torment, which is a a fire that's figurative for fire and trial, comes upon them. This individual is looking back and seeing how fruitless his life has been. And he's saying, go and tell my brothers. And he's saying that to his father Abraham. Now, this is where the two divisions of, the, of Israel are broken apart. One goes to become the children of Abraham, Galatians 5. I mean, Galatians 3, discuss that. If you're in Christ, then you are Abraham's children and heirs according to the promise. You go to know God the way your father Abraham did. That's healed. And those of that inheritance at that time who denied the truth 
about Christ then are cut off and put into outer darkness, which is described in, once again, Ezekiel 22. And suffering and trial until a future time. And he's just saying, go and tell them. And, and he, Father Abraham figuratively is saying to them, no. The They've truth, got the scripture. The truth That's is what he's right saying. there Moses in the scriptures. And the prophets. Yes, right. it's right there. We went through it in the covenant papers. Yeah. And if they want to do what's right, it's right there. And if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if one rises from the dead. Now, that's a prophecy of Christ who rose from the dead. And those of that spirit and attitude still don't accept him to this very day because mm -hmm. their time has not come. And they're serving a role. Yeah. They serve, so we've talked about. They served a role then, and, and their time will come in the future. That's yep. right. That's laid out in Romans chapters 9 through 11, especially in chapter 11. Well, and the bringing of the two sticks back together in, in Jeremiah 31, is it? When mm -hmm. he brings the two sticks back together. So they're brought back into the, to the fold at a later time. Yes, they will be brought back. That's prophesied. We went over that in the covenant yep. papers. And if anybody has any problem with that, go back and read through it. I mean, just like you said at the beginning of the podcast, it takes, you know, if you want to know the truth about the Bible, start in chapter 1, verse 1 of Genesis. And read it. And, re and it's correct legal order all the way through. Yeah, that'd be something good to throw in here. Um, what is the chronological that we read? What is that? Is that from Nelson? Yeah. Nelson's publishing. Yeah. Good chronological Bible, uh, really effective for reading the Old Testament. Uh, we've read it, we've read the New in it, um, but it really brings uh, puts everything in it. Really proper does in the legal Old Testament, order. yeah, yeah. Proper legal order. I keep bumping Neil's microphone today. <laughs> oh well, and are we gonna? Go but ahead. that's what this is about. Yeah. He's saying they won't accept me. And they're going to be put in outer darkness in a place of torment historically. And those who do will accept Christ and come into Abraham's bosom as his children in the relationship God shared with Abraham and the fathers will will have that reward at an earlier time. But if they will not accept what the Old Testament, as we call it, says, it doesn't do any good to preach something else to them. If one rises from the dead, as Christ did, they still won't believe. And you would have thought that everybody around Jerusalem and all of Judea after that would have come flocking into the church. Yeah. And, you know, large numbers did, but nothing compared to the population of yeah. the region. Well, they were blinded, and they serving yeah. a role like we've talked about. So Paul laid that out in his letter to the Romans. Well, we're at 52 minutes as we record here. Um, let's see, 17 is not very long, but I, I really don't want to rush these parables, and, and I want to take our time. So let's go ahead and just leave it off here today. You okay. guys all right with that? Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we thank you for listening and hope that you will tune in again for the next one, and we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.